Welcome to This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Now is your chance to get caught up in all that's happening in technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now here's your host, Gene Destro. This week, we're talking about governments around the world severely curtailing or even completely cutting off Internet access to limit free speech and political dissent. And while the governments doing it include the usual suspects like China and Russia, it's not limited to those countries. Other examples include Myanmar, Uganda, Cambodia, Indonesia, Pakistan, and even Poland. They're not all doing it the same way, though. Some are blocking or slowing down particular apps, like Russia did recently with Twitter. But Uganda recently ordered Internet service providers to block all social media platforms. Pakistan passed some new laws last year that regulate citizens' use of the Internet and that authorize the government to censor content. And in Myanmar, the military shut off the Internet completely in the wake of widespread protests against the coup that toppled their democratically elected government. All that, of course, is very troubling. But we also wanted to know, could that happen here? And if so, what could we do about it? So we talked to Jillian York. She's the director for International Freedom of Expression with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. They're a nonprofit dedicated to defending digital privacy, free speech, and innovation. Sure. So internet censorship has been a feature of the internet globally pretty much since um, you know since we've had the internet. But it's true that over the past few years it's been on the rise um, with different governments targeting different types of content and using different methods. So you mentioned Poland, for example, which is looking at restricting certain websites, um, whereas you know a country like Myanmar has actually shut down the entire internet um, at, at several points in the past. Other governments, for instance, block social media websites or websites that have uh, access to political and human rights information. Um, so this is a growing trend, and we do see it in a range of countries, um, whether they're democratic or authoritarian. And isn't it true, though, that there are some reasons that are legitimate that a government might want to limit access? For example, I had read, at least this is what Russia is saying why they're doing it, is because they want to limit access to things like child pornography and websites that encourage children to commit suicide. What about something like that? So there are a lot of governments that limit access to websites that have child pornography. The U.S. takes a different approach where they actually go out after the website providers, many of which are hosted in the U.S. or with U.S. companies. And that's certainly a thing that we don't want to have on the Internet. And yet, at the same time, it's very important that any measures that are taken to limit that kind of content are both necessary and proportionate. So we want to make sure that, you know, we're not catching other sites in the net, for example, and that the censorship techniques are not overly broad and don't have other collateral damage to them. When we're talking about other collateral damage, I just read that when Russia tried to slow down Twitter this week, some of their actual government websites went down at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not familiar with the methods that Russia used, but there are several methods that governments can use to limit different types of content. So one thing that they do is block IP addresses, which is an overly broad technique that does often catch other sites that are hosted on the same IP address in the net. Similarly, you know, when governments go after entire social media platforms because of some discussion that's happening on there, they may want to limit certain kinds of conversations, but in effect, they're limiting 
pretty much any kind of conversation that could be happening on that platform, some of which are really necessary. And so, again, when governments do limit any kind of speech, we want to make sure that they're doing so in a way that is necessary, proportionate, and in line with international human rights standards. With reports having to do with Myanmar and Uganda specifically, those had to do with the government shutting down sites so that they could quell conversation or protests about what's going on with their government. And that's got to be of some concern for you then. Yeah, those are very, very troubling stories. And we've seen similar stories in other parts of the world as well. The African continent tends to lead in terms of using internet shutdown techniques entirely, but Myanmar is another country that has engaged in that. And we certainly want the internet to be an open space for organizing a protest, for conversations around politics. Political speech is obviously you know, a key priority. And that's something that's really troubling to see. When, for example, Facebook was first created, the idea was to connect people freely. And it has certainly done that all around the world. But it's also been the source of a lot of misinformation, disinformation, hate speech. So what is it that you advocate in terms of limiting that harmful kind of content? Sure. So in general, you know, I think that these platforms were built and their policies created quite a while ago and really weren't created for the kind of scale that these platforms host now. And so EFF's goal is not to limit certain kinds of speech, but rather we aim to get these platforms to be much more transparent about the rules that they create, how they create and apply them. We want to make sure that all users have a method for appealing decisions that are made by these platforms because it is a double-edged sword. At the same time as misinformation proliferates across these platforms, we also see them taking down really important speech as well. And so really, we just want them to be much more diligent in the way that they create, apply, and implement their policies. In the United States, would there actually be a way for our government to just shut down the Internet if they were concerned about protests or, say, something that happened at the U.S. Capitol, the insurrection? What if they were afraid of about some sort of mass violent action? Could they just shut it down completely? Not easily, no. So there's a legal question here and a technical question. In a lot of countries, there's an internet exchange point that's very centralized, which means that a government can literally flip a switch, which is kind of what we've seen you know, with some of these smaller countries. When Egypt shut down the internet in 2011, they actually had to go to individual service providers because their internet was less centralized. And that's kind of similar to what the U.S. would have to do. They would have to convince these businesses to actually shut down the internet, which is very, very unlikely. And then, of course, to the legal question, it would certainly be a very serious question of the First Amendment. You can't have the government limiting speech in that way. But at the same time, though, social media like, let's say, Twitter and Facebook, for example, very famously just limited speech on their own because they looked at it as being too inflammatory and too dangerous. And so there's that distinction between what the government did and then what these companies did on their own. Yes. So these companies, as private companies, you know, just like a bakery or, or any other business, they have the right to curate their platforms as they see fit. And Section 230, which is the law being discussed quite frequently these days, also protects them from civil liability uh, in the decisions that they make about speech, whether it's taking something down or leaving it up. And so, you know, these companies are basically bound by both the First Amendment and this other law, Section 230, and that gives them really the right to decide what they want on their platforms. Of course, this can have troubling implications both in terms of the things that they allow, as we discussed, but also some of the things that they take down. Now, Section 230 is kind of interesting, and I know that Congress is going to be doing some hearings on it. 
So it sounds like there is at least some political will for the government to try to strip away some of these social media sites' independence when it comes to what kind of content they can have. I mean, do you look at that as good or bad? I look at it as bad. So I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about Section 230. Section 230 is not what allows companies to take down speech or Trump or whatever it is. That's actually the First Amendment that gives them that right. And that's something that's really non-negotiable in the U.S. Now, of course, there are a lot of proposals out there, some of them quite reasonable and an understanding of the law. But at the same time, I don't think that amending Section 230 is the solution to these problems. Um, I think that it would it would, in fact, benefit some of the bigger companies like Facebook and, you know, potentially even inhibit further competition. So what is it then that your organization does or can do to promote freedom of access to information all around the world? What can you do and have you had any success at doing it? Yeah, so we work with companies, we work with governments, and we do a lot of public advocacy. Now, when it comes to these internet shutdowns that we're talking about internationally, it can be really difficult to fight back against those, but we work with a, a network of different allies around around the world, including civil society organizations in some of these countries, to fight back in both terms of working with politicians, doing public education, and when it comes down to it, sometimes that's also engaging with processes such as the United Nations. Now, when it comes to the companies, a lot of the work that we do is actually direct advocacy to the companies. We can advise them on specific policies. We advocate for them to make changes in some of their practices. For instance, one of the things that we did over the past few years is put out a set of guidelines that we want these companies to adhere to. They're called the Santa Clara Principles on Transparency and Accountability and Content Moderation. We've actually gotten a a number of uh, major social media platforms to endorse them. That was Jillian York, who's the Director of International Freedom of Expression with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. To find out more about their efforts to promote free speech and digital privacy, go to EFF.org. And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5-1590-WAKR and WAKR.net. <laughs>